0: Welcome to Pro Audio Profiles. I'm Brennan Decora, and on this show, we focus on techniques for inspired studio performances. Each week, I host experts from across the industry. Let's get started. Today, we have Jason LaRocca. He's a film scoring engineer and mixer who's got film credits on The Flash, Dungeons & Dragons, God of War, Ragnarok, Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, Paddington, Fortnite, and Aquaman, among many more. He also has artist credits with Fiona Apple and Serge Tonkian. Enjoy. So, first and foremost, I want to thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Of course, dude. Thank you for thank you for coming. Right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, I'd like to start by going over your backstory, if you want to share kind of how you got your start, what led you to be an engineer, all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean... I was basically the engineer thing was was really just sort of out of necessity for me in the beginning of mm-hmm. my music career because I was basically just really wanted to be a songwriter and and mm-hmm. and a leader of of a rock band was right. kind of like the first impetus for me in terms of right. my music career. So when I was a teenager, we were really trying to like make a CD or a cassette or whatever it was at the time mm-hmm. and didn't have any money to to do that. Right. So it was like, what could we afford to, you know, what could we get ourselves that we can do without having to pay somebody to do it right. and get it, because studio time, you know, in the 90s was like, yeah. you know, legitimately expensive. Right. You know, yeah. and it was the only <laughs> option really.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, so, you know, getting some basics in, I thought maybe I could kind of like... Uh, cut some corners as it were to like, you mm-hmm. know, facilitate getting some right. demos made. Um, but, you know, actually when I was, when I was younger, sort of taking it backwards, even from when I was a teenager, when I was younger than that, I was actually in like a little choir group Okay. and sort of my preteens. Mm-hmm. And we actually ended up in the studio a few times, mm-hmm. like, randomly doing some sessions right because we had a singing teacher who actually kind of knew a lot of studio cats right so we ended up doing a couple we so we did a session for toto oh really i don't know i don't it never ended up anywhere it didn't end up becoming a thing but i was i was like nine years old or something like that and i had gone into some incredible studio in la i Mm. don't know what it was but i was (laughs) like holy shit this is incredible right and i want to have something like this yeah, yeah. someday, nice. you know, and, you know, obviously not having any real money. I basically got a Porter Studio 4 was like my first yeah, thing.
0: Absolutely. Right. Yeah.
1: So I had cassettes and cassettes and cassettes right. of like demos and ideas and mm-hmm. things like that.
0: Nice.
1: And then I had learned, like, about how Jimi Hendrix would flip the tape over and get a reverse thing. Right. And I thought, well, you could try that on the cassette. And I did. Yeah. And I learned little things like that, like mm. little basic figuring it early out. on yeah. things. And we had a little cassette deck that we would master our material to. Okay. So, like, we would record on the Porter Studio. Right. And yes. then print it down to the yes. to the cassette deck. Uh-huh. And we would just hand those out to friends and stuff like that. Nice. And, you know, nobody else was kind of wanting to take the initiative in the band to get into things like Mm -hmm. that. So I had, you know, I got a little summer job and was basically earning money so I could buy a console. And I eventually (laughs) bought a Mackie 2408. Nice. So it was like little things I started to do where I was like, if I buy this 2408, I could probably learn some things about it and sat down with it for, you know, a month and Mm -hmm. learned what, you know, an inline console was, you know, and it was like, I didn't know anything about engineering and I didn't do formal schooling, but having the console in front of me and having the initiative to kind of just like study it and Mm -hmm. and learn the manual and Mm -hmm. ask friends who did know about it. And I had a couple friends who were like, were in studios and stuff and could teach me things. I just <clears throat> gleaned what I could right, from people. Right. And then eventually my band, uh we had a band called the Briggs. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of bands, but then eventually we had one that sort of did something mm-hmm. uh with itself and it was called the Briggs. And we got signed to a punk label called Sidewind Dummy Records. Okay. In LA. And we ended up working with um with uh uh, Joe Gittleman from the Mighty Mighty Bosstones okay. produced the record mm-hmm. and so he had his engineer who did all the Bosstones records right. was Paul Coldry mm-hmm. so he f- so the label flew us out to Boston to make our first EP the Boston and yeah <laughs> Because You're that's where LA. Joe and Paul were. Okay. okay so it was I like see. Joe and Paul were going to make this record for you know, uh, you know, a couple grand. Right, and right. but you know, in order to make that happen, we had to fly out to Boston. Right. <laughs> but I was like, you know, studying over Paul's shoulder yeah, yeah. everything he was doing, like how he was miking the drums mm-hmm. and how he was miking the guitars and right. what was he miking them with, and you know, what was he doing. Mm-hmm. I watched all that stuff and was, of course, just really enamored with it all. Okay. The rest of the band didn't care. But so for me, I was just kind of always sort of technically inclined and artistically inclined right. at the same time. So the engineering thing kind of always just came as like a byproduct of whatever it was I was mm-hmm. doing creatively. Yeah. And, um, you know, I eventually got in the film world by uh, it, by way of internship for film composer um, okay. who was Mark Isham. And so that was because a friend of mine who I played shows around LA with he mm-hmm. was in a band and I was in a band and we knew each other because right. we played shows together. Right, right. And he's like, you have a Mackie 2408 in your in your bedroom, right? And <laughs> I was like, yeah. And he's like, you know, maybe uh maybe you want to take an interview and see if, you know, hmm. maybe you might have a shot at at being, you know, an assistant at for a film composer. And I was right. like, I knew nothing about film music. Yeah. So you know, that was like a total shot in the dark, hmm. which ended up becoming a thing. And I interned for for Mark for a while and then eventually became his assistant. And right. uh, and that's, of course, where all the doors and the floodgates just like fully right. opened for me. Because right. then I was eventually just sort of thrown into, thrust into like, right. this is it. Now I'm learning about engineering and yeah. and programming wow. and film okay. music and surround. But you were and that's the, where all
0: that happened. You were working for a composer, though, not necessarily an engineer. Exactly. So. but
1: he, Well, he he actually mixed a lot of stuff in his studio. Okay. Because so, it was 1998 mm-hmm. when I first started interning and then became became an assistant like in 1999 or whenever hmm. that was. His engineer was Steve Krause, and he actually mixed in his studio a okay. lot. So okay. he had just gotten a Euphonics CS3000 console and... Mm-hmm that was very new to everybody. Right. You know, it was the first sort of digitally controlled analog console right. that could do film music on yeah. a, in a sort of small format.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I took the initiative to learn the console and try and be very helpful to Steve. Steve right. mixed there a lot. Mm-hmm. So I did get to see a okay. lot of what okay. he did in his process. And that of course was more interesting to me than right. the writing side, because I didn't feel like I necessarily understood how to really, Right for an orchestra orchestra, it was very very alien to me (laughs) i didn't i didn't understand it but in terms of like how to make it sound good i felt that was Mm -hmm. something i felt was tangible to me i was like i think i can figure this out and 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 felt sort of along my path as far as an artist being you know a huge fan of the beatles growing up Mm -hmm. and loving all the orchestral elements that they had in their music i was like okay this makes sense to me from a sonic Mm -hmm. perspective right and uh, you know, I gleaned a lot from from Steve, and and he mixed on the Euphonics console, probably f- at least fifteen films we did in that right. room on okay. that console. Nice. So I got a lot of experience looking yeah. over his shoulder and seeing how he mm-hmm. mixed, uh, obviously an analog mix of a right. film,
0: and did which you guys was amazing. Go and record stuff. How did you get? Yeah, your yeah, re- he recording shots?
1: actually there was there was uh at the time um paramount was still right. a thing paramount stage m mm-hmm. um so we did a lot of stuff at paramount um and and Signet and right. um and todd A O. Mm-hmm. all the ones that yeah, yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly but a lot of them a lot of the films were done there todd a.o yeah. and paramount oh, yeah. stage m absolutely m- mark actually stage m was like his favorite okay stage mm. or one of his favorites so he liked to go there a lot so, yeah, Todd Ayo and Paramount. And, again, it was, like, just watching what Steve did right, and watching. Right. And and also Sean Murphy and some of the other guys yeah. who did some stuff for, yeah. for Mark as engineers. Well, I mean,
0: even if you're working at a place like that, that's essentially what you're doing is just watching. You're just watching what they do. All the guys do what they and, do, and,
1: and, yeah. And was, that was it. That was my schooling. It was nice. like watching what these guys did and, awesome. and realizing that this could be the last time I have an opportunity to see somebody do this, to set right. up an orchestra, right. and to set up the mics. And so yeah. every time I got myself in the door into one of these studios mm-hmm. on a session, I was like, just take this so seriously. Right. You know what I right. mean? Absolutely. And so those were the things that really basically taught me. They were never hmm. formal. You know, right. They were just That's things cool. that that on 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 the way to wherever I was going, which I didn't know, I was just sort of picking up all these little pieces and kind of, and did you ever
0: do like record bands or anything like when you're coming up or just straight into film composing? No, we
1: did some band. I mean, we had like bands come over to our, we had basically a a very makeshift studio set up in in our house, it was in my parents' house and Mm -hmm. my brother and I were always in bands together and and his room and my room had an adjoining wall and we, Punched a giant hole through the closets, <laughs> and we made my room the live room, and then ran a snake through the closet. That's
0: awesome.
1: Into his room, I bet your parents loved that. Loved it. <laughs> actually, my dad was a carpenter, so he actually oh, helped okay. us so do it. Did it right. He okay. loved it. Nice. And so, because he like soundproofed the hole yeah, and like the whole awesome. thing, and we ran that into. At first, was a, a Fostex E sixteen tape machine because mm-hmm. we didn't even have Pro Tools yet. Right so that was the first iteration of the setup and Mm. we had bands come over and and record nice and we did i mean they were all like you know demos and and random things but very random story by the way (laughs) we for only a very hot minute my brother and i were in the distillers okay uh which you know was like one of our favorite punk bands at the time so They came over and we had even recorded some demos, some early demos and stuff like that in our bedroom, which is just, you know, random (laughs) stuff like that. Nothing (laughs) ever famous really came out of there, but it was like, this was our bedroom studio. And, you know, whatever we could fit in the studio without like crossing any, you Mm. know, major serious boundaries, (laughs) of you know, getting kicked out of the house, (laughs) we would do. Right, (laughs) And so we recorded some demos and and eps or whatever on our e16 tape machine and then eventually pro tools but right right it was all just early stuff mostly yes and then you know i did do um you know for side one dummy i had done chuck reagan who was the singer of hot water music i did some stuff with Mm him you know he was on on side one dummy and uh you know a couple other bands and stuff like that but I was mostly on tour a lot of the time. So I did some things when I was home from tour, but a lot of the time it was like nine months out of the year I was on tour. So yeah, I was like not really, (laughs) uh, any opportunity I had usually conflicted with the touring schedule. But I was trying to obviously, you know, keep that up on the side thinking maybe one day yeah. I'm not going to be in this band anymore. I'm going to want to do sure. something else. So, sure. which of nice. course is what ended up happening. Yeah. And I had oh, to, good. you know, I had to fake my way, <laughs> right, right. you know, basically nice. the whole time.
0: Awesome. So a lot of what I like to talk about on the show is kind of how to inspire artists in the studio. Yeah. And working with film, it's a bit different because it's like the composer is essentially the artist a mm-hmm. lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you approach the balance between the artistic vision of a composer and the technical demands of film scoring? Yeah, that's
1: a really good question. I mean, there's certain composers that I have... I have different relationships with everybody that I work with. Mm -hmm. And uh, certain composers have a really strong vision for what they want artistically and don't need any artistic help, obviously, at all. Well, a lot Um, of composers are very good engineers, too. And good engineers. And so there's like a very small window of value you have to certain people (laughs) um but there's some that like really kind of have like general ideas Mm -hmm. and really great melodic sense right uh but need help fleshing out a lot of the technical side of it and so for example um so I, I worked on a film called Paddington, and the composer on that was Nick mm-hmm. Urata, who's from a band, okay. and his background is, you know, his band Dvořák. So his oh
0: really, I yeah. loved Dvořák when I was yeah thinking. yeah yeah. yeah. Nice. So
1: he <laughs> doesn't really he he didn't know a lot about like how does this fit in in terms of like the film world right. and 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 the technical side of mm-hmm. how. record it how big of an orchestra to record Mm -hmm. where do we record you know all these kinds of things and but his his uh his songs are incredible his you Mm -hmm. know his sense of of uh of melody is incredible and 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 then he needs somebody to kind of help sort of figure out right you know how do we bring this to life Mm -hmm. you know and so on a project like that, I was helping sort of, quote unquote, produce some of this stuff. Right. Where like in his demo phase, where he was basically just trying to write mock-up versions mm-hmm. of his music, I was helping him kind of figure out, well, maybe this, maybe we need to add some brass here, or maybe we need to add right. what you've written on your guitar to another instrument so mm-hmm. that it feels bigger and more cinematic right, and right. stuff like that. So there were things that I was able to help from the beginning stage before mm-hmm. we even got to recording and mixing it right. uh where I was kind of helping influence some of conceptually, you know, what he was doing. Yeah. So that's, you know, on one end of the spectrum and then there's another end where you've got, you know, somebody like um uh I, I don't know, like maybe even uh Robert McCreary where like, yeah. you know, he's he he has a very strong sense of orchestra Mm -hmm. and how he's writing and what he's writing for exactly. So it's literally just, you know, it's just taking it down. Right. You know, and so the orchestrator is taking it down, capturing it. You record exactly what he's done with his Mm mock-up, you know, and you've then just sort of turned it over to live players and made them do it. But then you have to take everything that's been recorded and make it sound like his mock-up did but only better right? because he's put a lot of work into <laughs> yeah. like, well, I want this to come down really, really quiet here under dialogue and then explode mm. at the end yeah. for the end scene.
0: And, and these not dynamics only that, are really important. Yeah. And not only that, but with films, like there's so many other people involved, like the director and producers and everyone else that's already attached to the demos. Huge. So like and well, he puts to... a
1: lot of work into the demos and when the director right. and the producers get really attached to what he's done. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, anything, any composers done has, S- is sculpted around what the director and producer want Right. so when you get something from the composer you should really study it and right. understand what it's doing mm-hmm. and all of its parts and, and why it's put together the way it is because if you start to take it apart mm-hmm. and deconstruct it and make it quote unquote your own or something right. like that you are invalidating so much hard blood sweat and tears right. that went into it because none of this is just necessarily, oh, this is the way I want it. This is my composition. Right. It is tailored to something very specific. Yes, exactly. And how you tailor that is is got to be really respected. And right. so on a technical level, he has, his mock-up is completely wiped away because none of the fake stuff is used anymore. Mm-hmm. We've recorded it all. Right. So that on a technical level, as an engineer and a mixer, you have to put all that back together yeah. the way it was right. in this mock up but with live instruments and that's right. very difficult sometimes yes. because the record the musicians do their best to make it great of course but there's only a 3 hour session right. to record it in right <laughs> yeah. so at the end of that 3 hour session you've got great parts but mm-hmm. then you've got to edit the crap out of it and you yeah. do have to mix the crap out of it right. because there's a lot of uh, lead lines and things that need focus mm-hmm. and need, you know, attention drawn to them that weren't necessarily done in the recording right, session. Right. And so that's where the mix comes in. So uh, for somebody like him it's much more of a technical thing. Right. And for some other composers it's it's much more of a creative process and mm-hmm. and helping out in in more creative ways and from the beginning and it really just depends on on the the style of the composer and how they want to interact with me. But mm-hmm. I have done it all in terms of mm-hmm. producing scores uh, sonically yeah. and artistically and just fully technically capturing it the way that they want right. and, and mixing and delivering it on a technical level purely. Right.
0: So Awesome. Yeah. Um, what's one scoring project that really pushed you out of your comfort zone and hmm. how did you handle it? Um, I
1: mean, I feel like I'm constantly sort of thrown out of my comfort zone to some degree, because <laughs> you know, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of music that I'm still constantly learning through mm. through f- through film composition. But I think um, I mean, God of War was was I think challenging in a lot of ways because there was a lot of instruments in there that I didn't really know how to make sound impressive right and cinematic mm-hmm. you know like nickel harpa and uh you know um uh, viola da gamba and things like that mm-hmm. there's like instruments that sound sometimes very scratchy and yeah sort of clicky and, and i don't
0: hmm.
1: know technically at first what's the best way to approach making these things sound really polished right. and really good so there's a lot of sort of experimentation in terms of what works Mm-hmm. Uh, so a project like that had a, so much. Uh, there was other challenges too, like the fact that we recorded it during the pandemic, and yeah. <laughs> we were talking about this earlier. It was uh. like the choir had to all be every singer had to be six feet apart. Right. Everybody had their own microphone, so mm-hmm. a single pass of choir had like fifty channels <laughs> of audio. You know what I mean? So
0: <laughs> it's normally like ten. Yes. You know? <laughs> so you know, there were there
1: were challenges like that too that combined with some of the artistic challenges made right. it a bit of like, well, where do we start, mm-hmm. you know, on a right, project right. like this. So, I mean, we don't know necessarily, hopefully not that we don't have another issue like at the pandemic where we have to have everybody six mm-hmm. feet apart again. But if we do, that's, that is something that uh, is definitely difficult on the mixing side because right. you want to get a sound and you mm-hmm. want it to just sort of be the room yes especially with something like choir or or it's yeah. like mm-hmm. let the room do the work right. but when you have everybody start to really separate apart and 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 kind mm-hmm. of not a ruin in a way right. what you've built up for thousands of years of like this is what sounds good you put right. everyone together
0: <laughs> right and you have them put up some room mics play
1: put some room <laughs> mics up and you're basically done it's like now we have to figure out how to right. put that sound back into the recording because Mm -hmm. it wasn't really captured that way um a lot of the solo instruments for that uh game were also recorded in like bedrooms and Mm -hmm. studios that were very small because they couldn't get into i I imagine
0: too that you know that that's a great learning experience for other projects that may be lower budget that can't afford that kind of thing or you it know, is stuff definitely like that. like that those techniques are used commonly I it's imagine. true
1: and and it it does sort of harken back to maybe some of my earlier garage days of of right. having to figure out how to you know make a terrible drum sound sound like Chris Lord algae yeah. the best you possibly can <laughs> I mean yeah. reverb obviously is a big part of it but mm-hmm. but you know knowing at least sonically in your mind where you want it to go and not stopping until you get there right certainly not taking it for face value because when it's a recording in a bedroom and you just sort of go, well, good, then there it is, it's done. Right. You know, artistically, you want to set the bar a lot higher right. and go, no, this has to sound really, really, really great. Yeah. And this is actually going to be a little bit tricky yeah. in terms of how we get there. Right. Uh, so that, that game had a lot of uh, sort of roadblocks and, and boundaries that mm-hmm. made it because we were really trying to make it sound fantastic yeah of course and there was a lot of things we had kind of working against us Mm -hmm. because of the pandemic we made it work i
0: think nice (laughs) i just want to take a quick break and tell you about my free guide the art method the advanced recording toolkit in it i share the details of how you can get pro studio results from your home studio i've believed for a long time that it's the cooking not the kitchen If you can learn some of the advanced methods for getting great results in the studio, you can do it in any studio. I skip the basics and dive into the more nuanced info you need to level up the quality of your home studio recordings. Check it out now at brendandecora.com art. And now, back to the show. What do you think is the most underrated skill in the recording industry today? Probably, uh
1: making uh the artists feel comfortable yeah yeah i think that um i think that people maybe a lot of engineers work alone a lot right and so they don't um develop much social skill in terms of being in the studio and doing recording sessions Mm -hmm. i mean and i know you know this obviously having worked in a lot of studios Mm -hmm. and worked with a lot of artists is like that probably is a big part of it. It's like when you get called to do another session or work with an artist, it's usually because, you know, maybe you were at some lower point, uh, in the totem pole and you were so cool and made everyone like you so much that Mm -hmm. you ended up back in a session and, and, you know, somewhere higher up. And, um, I think that's probably, uh, unfortunately, uh, one side of the engineering skill that, that, uh, isn't built into the infrastructure as as well now as it used to be Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because, uh, because everyone does work alone a lot. A Mm -hmm. lot of people have their own studios, their own home studios. So Mm -hmm. you aren't necessarily rubbing shoulders with all these people constantly Mm -hmm. the way maybe you used to, or you could think you have some really great mixing skills, which you probably do, but haven't really had to set up a band in 45 minutes and start (laughs) you know going and make everyone feel like they're rock stars at the same time and those are skills that um i think are what separate really really great engineers and Mm -hmm. engineers who have technical skill and can do what they do well right
0: you know right yeah and how does it vary when you know obviously with the film world almost all the time it's you're working with session musicians, mm-hmm. you know, professionals that are do this all day right. every day. Right. How does it vary when you're working with someone like that versus like an artist? I mean, they're usually, you know, they they don't necessarily need
1: uh, session musicians can just do what they got to do. Right. You know what I mean? As long as you sort of
0: uh but how do you like you know, make it so that they could put their. I think you know. I think <laughs> like generally they perform like they are an artist. They <laughs> their biggest
1: thing is like is like the headphones, which I think is probably with any artist. Yeah, you know what I mean? That's true. They you know they don't want a bunch of reverb in their headphones, mm-hmm. and they want to kind of just hear what's going on. Right. Get a sense of the room, and get a sense of maybe a little bit of the score that they're playing against, mm-hmm. but mostly they want to just hear each other in an orchestral setting. Right. And, you know, and they don't really want to hear a lot of added stuff because their main mm-hmm. focus is like, how can we uh, play best in tune and, and get get through this as quickly as possible? Not mm-hmm. because they just want to get moved fast, but right. that is a big part of a recording session for for Hollywood mm-hmm. scoring is like, you know, you have to move through a lot of material pretty quickly. Yes. So absolutely. the biggest thing is like, you know, not having any technical issues get in your way. Like mm. you don't change microphones. Right. You know, this is maybe something you do with a drummer on a, on a rock date. Yeah. But generally I try and like not do anything like that. When I start a session Right. It, with, right. with artists or with, you know, or, yeah. orchestras is like, once I pick my mics, I, I, try and put as much attention to detail in the beginning and prep side mm-hmm. so that when the session starts, it's really just kind of a free flowing thing, right? People start and we go and it mm-hmm. doesn't really get interjected by down. anything. Yeah. So, um, that's kind of the, like the biggest thing for me is to not interject too much. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I don't know who, who said this, but there, there was, I, I take, um, a lot of, uh, I respect very much the idea that what you're using to record a great performance is a lot less Im- important than just getting the great performance. That's true. You know what I mean? Because yeah. if you get a really great performance, how you recorded it and captured it uh, will s- actually sound better than maybe something right. of a better technical choice yeah. and and a less uh, less of a good right. performance.
0: I almost feel like it's, you know, I firmly believe that you know, as long as it's above a certain threshold, yeah. you know, if like if the mic is working and yeah. there's not like terrible reflections or something yeah. broken about it, yeah. then it doesn't matter what mic it is. It doesn't yeah, matter. I mean, you know.
1: it's worth mentioning because I've seen people actually talk a lot about microphones mm-hmm. in the middle of a session yeah. <laughs> with artists and right. with musicians and it at- slows the thing down. Right. You right. know, it's like almost like, you know, the pomp and circumstance of like Mm -hmm. what you might know or, or obviously you're an engineer because you love microphones to begin with and so want to talk about them. But when they get in the way of what you're doing, um, they're less important than the session actually just moving along at a nice pace and getting a rhythm going. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing is like, is getting the rhythm of a session is to me, Getting started and making people feel like something's getting done and accomplished. Yes. And once mentally that starts to really get into people's heads, Mm -hmm. uh, they start to play better. Right. And they start to make a bit of magic. Right.
0: You know? Well, that's the thing is like, you know, there's so much hubbub about the gear and the equipment and the technique and all that. And yes, obviously it makes a difference. But at the end of the day, the real goal of it is to kind of be invisible. To allow for the art to come through and allow the inspiration and everything else. Because that's what makes the best, the biggest difference. Yeah,
1: exactly. I think if there's, (laughs) if there's something you feel like you want to do better, Mm -hmm. make a note of it and do it on the next session. (laughs) Because you're going to do another session and don't do it during that session. You know what I mean? Go, you know what? That was the wrong compressor choice. Or maybe that's the wrong threshold. It's just sounding too whacked or Mm -hmm. whatever. And leave it. Right. And just do it on the next session. Change it then. <laughs> just
0: learn and grow. That's your that's yep. that's your rate of change. You know exactly. what I mean? It
1: isn't to stop a session and yeah. go, Guys, I'm so sorry, but you know, right. the ribbons were the wrong choice on the violins. <laughs> it's like maybe they were. Yeah. That could be true. But change it on the next session.
0: Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's my advice. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. Um it's actually funny. The <laughs> next question is about technology of all things. Yeah. Um so in terms of technology, what's one recent advancement that has significantly changed how you work? Um, mm, well, I mean audio movers
1: has definitely been, yeah. you know, and maybe it's not a huge technical thing, but in some ways it is because uh, you know, I think it makes film music go at um at the rate that we need to and uh accommodates the lifestyle of right. of a film composer and and uh post production engineers mm. where we're traveling a lot, we're doing a lot of things we're doing a lot of different projects, and people can't necessarily come here to this studio right and be here with me and sit at the console and listen mm. to their cue. They can do it over audio movers. <clears throat> right. I'm not endorsed by them. This isn't like a plug for them. That's just yeah. one thing that I think is for me and and that you can do it in surround sound. And mm-hmm. so just the idea that you can do your music over the internet in surround now is right. is quite incredible and
0: video too even yeah. it's
1: not even that hard mm-hmm. back in the day it was very difficult to yes, do and to absolutely. set up took almost an entire day mm. of like okay it's working good don't touch the computers right. come back at nine and half the time it would work or it wouldn't work right. and then you didn't know and so yeah. it was really difficult to even count on it yeah whereas absolutely. now it's pretty easy to do yeah. and 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 you know you've always got this fail safe of we can listen to it anywhere mm. at, at any time and have it be very close to right. the same as listening to it you know in front of the yeah. speakers
0: and the other with recording too like a lot of people and re- recording. record orchestras all around the world anybody and can
1: chime in from yeah. anywhere and, mm-hmm. and do whatever they're doing so to me I feel like that's made a lot of workflow uh, smooth out you know right. and and maybe that's not the most exciting thing but but I do feel like yeah. it's, it's made a, a big difference in terms of what we're able to accomplish mm-hmm. and achieve um, you know, and I think that just the, the computers themselves, I mean, the fact right. that you've got a Mac studio that doesn't require any external cards, mm-hmm. you know, we don't necessarily need, uh, DSP cards yeah. and things like that. We can do this pretty much all on a computer in the palm of our hands. Right. That's also very cool yeah. because now we can work from almost anywhere we want to, Right. you know? Exactly. Uh, so I just feel like there's, there's really kind of like, there's nothing really holding anybody back anymore, Mm -hmm. which is great. You know, when I started, it was like, you had to be in a really expensive studio (laughs) with really, really nice speakers with a lot of different things sunk up Mm -hmm. through time code for to even hear something.
0: Right. (laughs) You know what I mean?
1: And it was like a big technological situation Mm -hmm. just to know if something even looked or sounded right. Right. And now you don't, even you need to bat an eye you could just go right and and know that something's going to be really good in your on your headphones
0: yeah you know Absolutely. if you have good headphones you yeah.
1: almost can do anything at this point right
0: yeah. it's kind of leveled the the playing field obviously. completely yeah. leveled it you know it's i mean you,
1: you, the fact that you've got you know the dolby bridge mm-hmm. it, but just even that and yeah. the fact that you needed two computers in the beginning just right. to do Atmos. Yeah,
0: they just, with a new update, you can, you can do know? it all within Pro Tools now. That's another incredible thing. don't even thing. need...
1: 916.
0: Yep. Incredible. <laughs> you know, the fact that,
1: you know, we're as wide as 916 now mm-hmm. as a basic panning bed. is like, yeah. that's fantastic. You know what I mean? There's <laughs> so, so much to take advantage of Right, now.
0: right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Um, so with film scores, there's often extremely tight deadlines as you know yeah how do you approach that challenge i mean we try and do a lot of what we call pre-mixing
1: which is also something that there's there's a lot of stages to post-production uh and the final stage is what they call the dub right um and and the final mix and when they're doing the dub they usually do sometimes weeks of what they call pre-mixing where Mm -hmm. they do a lot of the nuts and bolts, routing, uh, basic panning, certain things are final in terms of audio Mm -hmm. so they can get those set and EQ'd and compressed and edited the way they want, Uh, but certain things will get replaced. Mm -hmm. So they can get a lot of things started and sounding generally the way they want. And then as things come in and are more final, like in the case of, of a score, the orchestra, maybe the strings are done, so they'll, mm-hmm. we'll add the strings in. But we've premixed right. the synths, we've premixed the fake right, strings, right. we've premixed the fake brass. We've done a lot of groundwork so that when the strings are final and come in it's maybe only a day or so that that hmm. we need okay. to finish it off
0: so it's not like one yeah. big mix session anymore. exactly it's a i mean if you're stages. just getting
1: everything without having seen or heard right. any of it right. you're like well i've got it all but now i have to like decide if i even like what <laughs> right. i'm doing
0: Spend and reflect ten hours on it prepping everything well and, but know. time for
1: reflection is a big thing like yeah. obviously with a lot of you know the artists that you've worked with mm-hmm. you get time to reflect right you mix something you send it out to the artist Mm -hmm. they give their feedback and then you get a chance a week later to listen to it and also have your own second thoughts about certain things you want to change but with film music you don't have that and that that's Mm -hmm. a a really important part of making things sound good i think Mm -hmm. is actually having a moment where you can reflect on it and when you do get those moments i feel like those are the those are the scores or projects that sound a lot better Right. When you have that time to reflect. Yeah. So I try and build in time where I can reflect on okay. it, where I can do pre mixing and then come back a week later and go, yeah, I actually don't like this thing. I want to change the reverb and I right. want to change the right. perspective um, and then make it just that much better. You wouldn't have that if you just mm-hmm. were like, okay, we got 48 hours. We got to do this.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. and just out
1: the gate, like, yeah. how do we, well, it's like you were talking about the triangle, right? Where it's mm-hmm. like you can you can pick yeah. uh y- you know, your price, you mm-hmm. can pick how fast you get it done and you can pick quality, but you can't yeah. have all three. Yeah. And you know, with post-production, you do need all three. Yes. <laughs> so the the way to sort of combat that, I guess, is to sort of get a little bit of an edge in on on starting early and starting before mm. you actually quote unquote start and right. and do pre-mixing. And so right. to me that's a big that's a big thing I try and get
0: woven into my projects is some pre-mixing time. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um and how do you I mean sort of similar on these intense projects, but how do you maintain your health and wellness during intense I projects? I don't. I
1: this has been a a really major uh point of I mean, look at me, I'm just an absolute wreck. I actually got a little bit of tan over the last couple of days because I, I it because it's New Year's, I right. happen to have a couple of days off. Right. So I actually do have a little bit of color on my skin, but I usually okay. look very pale.
0: Awesome. <laughs> very ghostly. Yeah.
1: Um I think the biggest thing is, well, okay. So we were talking about this too. It is really important. It's actually Mm. uh, a really big deal. And I'm actually trying to work on that a lot. So I don't have all the answers, but, Mm -hmm. but one of the things that um, I try and achieve is having uh, other people help me and not Mm -hmm. try and do everything myself. I do try and do everything myself. And that's a, You know, a thing I try to let go of, you know what I mean? It's just like you want to be the person who got the kick drum sound because you always want to be that guy. (laughs) Um, But then there are certain practicalities where when you get busy enough, you have to let certain things go and Mm -hmm. have other people help you and know where you really need to step in and where you can let other people kind of help fill the gaps so that you can have some time to... Get some time on the beach or Mm -hmm. with your kids, or you know, do yoga or whatever it is you feel gives you your counterpart to what Mm -hmm. you're doing. Mm -hmm. Because I think if you're doing just 10 hours a day of this you have to have something at the end where you do something opposite right. to it. Right. You know, and you're mm-hmm. not looking at something three feet in front of you. Yeah. It's something that's 20 feet away from you <laughs> and you're going for a walk and you're doing something mm-hmm. and getting training exercise. So I try and do it at, at night, but of course it yeah. doesn't always work out schedule wise to do it can. that way. Yeah. But it's yeah. freaking key and and is yeah. definitely something this year that I want to improve on a lot because right. I think there's like guys that I look up to, like, I mean, like, Obviously, you know, rest in peace, Al Schmidt was like, to Mm -hmm. me, a really great example of that. Right. Because he was, you know, he he won more Grammys than anybody, Mm -hmm. but he also looked fantastic. Yeah. And he was in shape and, you know, he worked out and he was freaking, you know, he wasn't a young chap, you know, and he was, he was, you know, he was just to me. Uh, a perfect example of that, of like right. somebody who just was like somehow able to make it all work, mm-hmm. you know, having sort of a being sort of causative over right. what is generally a very chaotic job. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's no, we don't define the schedule, right. you know, as engineers. It's right. like our artists do, mm-hmm. you know, and it's one thing if you have one artist you work for, but if you have two or three, mm-hmm. they, don't know what each other's schedules are (laughs) so now you're sort of working almost around the clock and (laughs) and you know and somebody like al schmidt was doing that Mm -hmm. and but was still finding time to you know be healthy and exercise and that sort of thing so again i don't have the answers but i definitely aspire to that i think it it is (laughs) certainly when i'm happiest i'm balancing it to some degree. Right. And I'm getting out of the studio and trying to make boundaries for like no work on Sunday. You know what I mean? Yes. Something. Exactly. Anything that just exactly. gets a little
0: bit of just a chip. Build it into the schedule. chip it yeah. away somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Absolutely. <clears throat> um and what do you do to continuously improve your skills? Uh I think I just I like
1: to watch videos and, mm-hmm. and and listen to po- like even your podcast and like and anybody else's um, shows and podcasts where they have videos on this stuff, right? You know Pensado's place, uh, mm-hmm. Dave's incredible. Um, any of the different there's so many. What's great is there's actually so many opportunities for that now. And I yeah. I like you know I'll watch Alan Myerson videos or mm-hmm. videos of Chris Lord Algae or whoever. It's right. like these guys. Uh, you know are and always will be kind of like you know my idols and right. so I mean, yeah if i'm feeling stuck on something like how the hell do you freaking eq uh a nickel harpa like even though i've done it before mm-hmm. i'm like i'm c- really curious maybe there's a video on it you know what right. i mean And i'll look up to someone else's viewpoint mm-hmm. on yeah. how they do it that is not necessarily your own because mm-hmm. then you could kind of take or leave some of that information but it's at least a different Viewpoint. And, and also will often validate the fact that nothing is ever really wrong
0: right <laughs>
1: right right <laughs> exactly. it's like you can do these things yeah. a million different ways so it's kind of fun to know what all the different ways are right. whether you use them or not is kind right. of like moot but the fact that you get the information just sort of makes you feel a little calmer mm-hmm. you know exactly. so I just I just scour the internet
0: yeah. <laughs> Basically. Awesome. Awesome. Um and what is a common myth about film scoring that you'd like to debunk? Man, I mean I
1: guess that um you know that there isn't much to it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's hella complicated. <laughs> you know, it's hella
1: complicated. It really is. Uh but that at the end of the day it also is just film music and yeah. you know, uh you know some people it's just funny that like you know i i try and explain to people what i do sometimes and they Mm -hmm. just don't get it
0: you know what i mean like (laughs) yeah
1: yeah, i record and mix music for film they're like what is that right like a lot of people actually just don't even know (laughs) and so i just think that uh it'd be interesting to have people just sort of become more enlightened on what it is you know Mm. i think obviously Hans zimmer has done a a great job with that i think because yeah. <clears throat> you know he's doing his huge concerts now and is right. you know has become sort of the the film composer celebrity of the world right. you yeah. know um <clears throat> but even before him and and you know you had john williams was really the mm-hmm. only person who you could associate with with yeah. film scoring it was like well what is that oh well you know the theme for star wars yeah oh well that's film music okay i get right. it right <laughs> um <clears throat> But I think that, uh, you know, there's, I mean, with you got guys like Trent Reznor and stuff like that, who Mm -hmm. are starting to score these guys, people can understand and get because they came from a background that, that people understand they're like, okay, he was a rock Mm -hmm. star. Okay, yeah. and he's a film composer, okay, yeah. so it's kind of the same thing and
0: it's interesting you how know. many film composers do come from the I know yeah, there's a lot of yeah them. there's
1: a lot yeah a lot of and people don't really you know know that mm-hmm. um yeah, i mean it is it is definitely a very uh uh it's a difficult job like any job and mm-hmm. it's and it is like a it's an endless rabbit hole of discovery, like almost anything as right. well. Right. So um you know I think that uh it's like it's awesome it's freaking awesome that's nice. what I want people to know is that it's <laughs> fucking awesome. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful art form.
0: Right. Um if you could collaborate with any artist or composer living or dead who would it be and why?
1: Um I mean collaborate with I I I'm a huge uh, Led Zeppelin fan, okay. so, you know, nice. it'd be cool to have, you know, do a record with the original lineup of Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. uh, or work with George Martin. Right. I would have loved to have met and worked with him, mm-hmm. uh, the Beatles. Awesome. Um, and, I, you know, and I really like uh, Billie Eilish. I think yeah. uh, it'd be cool to one day somehow end up on something together with her, even if it's just, you know, she doesn't even know I exist, but, right. but worked on, you know, and it's right, obviously, right. I think, you know, she's, and she's, she's just done so many different things and hmm. crossed so many cool boundaries. I, I definitely respect her art for sure. Nice. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Um, is there any current or recent projects that you can talk about that you'd like to?
1: But yeah, actually we have something coming out next week. Um, the Book of Clarence is a film okay. uh, that's coming out next week with uh, the director is James Samuel. He did a movie called The Harder They Fall for Netflix a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the film is produced by Jay-Z. Uh, okay. And James Samuel, the director, also wrote the score, wrote oh. all the songs in the film. He wrote the script. Uh, and, and he's a producer on the film. So he's a pretty talented guy. Nice. And I got to uh, mix the score and mix a lot of the songs uh, for the film. Okay. So he's, uh, got a bunch of songs with like, you know, kid Cuddy and a bunch of, mm-hmm. bunch of great artists singing on them and stuff like that. Right. Fantastic songs in the film. Um, so that very excited about that just from a musical perspective, that was nice. a lot of fun. Um, and that's coming out next week. And, uh, I think there's a couple of TV shows. um, I actually don't know if they have official titles yet. Okay. So maybe, yeah. I guess I can't mention them, <laughs> oh, good. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's probably the main one. And then of course there's, um, well, there's the, the Grammy nominated things, which I guess just came out, but the, okay. the uh, Sweeney Todd oh, nice. uh, cast album.
0: Awesome. Congrats. And, uh,
1: yeah, thank you. Thank you. Awesome. And the, the God of War Ragnarok soundtrack.
0: Cool. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like to wrap up with the same few questions each yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Um first one is who is your most influential teacher? And it can be a few, it doesn't have to. Yeah. A few. Um I think uh
1: probably uh yeah, it's a really good question. I would say Mark Isham. I learned a lot from him mm-hmm. and he was kind of my first um he was like my first real job i guess you know when right. i was interning and assisting for him so i didn't really know a lot mm-hmm. and he taught me a lot about uh you know the film industry and a lot of right. other things so um i would say definitely him and 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 my father you know my father's not around anymore but but he i learned a lot from him growing up i worked for him mm. um you know for that summer when i earned enough money to buy some gear. Right. You know, so he was, uh, he was definitely a good teacher of mine. Nice. And, uh, you know, that's
0: probably it, I guess. That's cool. Yeah. that's no, good. <laughs> my dad's, yeah, you know, of my course. two dads. Of course. <laughs> uh, the next question is, what is your favorite reference track if you have to go to a new studio? Now, Grant, you uh, probably yeah. won't do that so much yeah. anymore, but... Not if, as much anymore, you do but that? I had a few... One, um,
1: it's been a few different things. I've had, Inception was one for okay. a while. Um, and then, uh, let well, me, in terms of like references that were my own. Yeah. You know, because be I've, yeah. I've used my own too. But in terms of like others. Um, and I was using uh, Bad Guy. Okay. As a reference on a couple of things. Um, and Doja Cat, I've, I've sort of referenced some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, not, not many references lately. Like in the beginning I did a lot of that.
0: Well, you get, you've always worked at the same like American Idiot was
1: actually a big reference for mine for a long time. Like, like that, not actually that song, but, uh, uh, what's the third song with the big backbeat? oh uh september ends yeah okay september ends that song is just absolutely smashing nice uh so that was definitely a big rock reference for me for a while was american idiot
0: sweet
1: yeah i'd say that's probably i still think to to this day one of the greatest sounding yeah rock records nice Uh, from a mixing perspective right right yeah like
0: ever awesome yeah sweet um last question what would be one tidbit for an upcoming engineer actually
1: probably just to to make music i think is probably yeah. the best thing an engineer can do that's true i think starting out is to literally just make music mm-hmm. not worry too much about getting a job as an engineer or anything right but just to make just to create something because mm-hmm. you get you get so much out of that and you become the artist uh and then you also become the engineer for that artist. Right. And so you kind of right. see the, the full cycle. and And at first, you know nobody's necessarily hiring you, so you hire yourself. Yeah. you know what I mean <laughs> And that's you know that's I think the best way to kind of get the jump start is like become your own first client. Right. and just make some music. Yeah. You know, I try and make it sound as good as you can because then you can show that to people yeah. and you could say here's something I did and right. you could put it up on SoundCloud or wherever it is you put things up these yeah. days and just say check this out and, and you know, go for it from a technical perspective to make it extra special on right, on right. that side but uh, then you don't have to sit there and, and wait for an opportunity. You right. know, you just kind of become yeah. your own opportunity and then you can maybe end up deciding that what you really want to do is just make your own music you yeah. know what i mean there's That's nothing true. bad that comes from it right you know what i mean so well,
0: i found too like <clears throat> it puts you in that perspective of the artist so then it's like yeah you know, some of the biggest learning moments is when i was doing it myself it's like oh 100 i should engineer this way because i was super annoyed that that, that wasn't this well, way you think and... about
1: certain things right yeah. like like as a vocalist like mm-hmm. um you know if you're not Uh, If you're not a vocalist, as an engineer, you might not think about the things that help a vocalist out. Like needing some water or Mm -hmm. not wanting the lights to be so bright or whatever. When you're the singer, you know those things.
0: Yes. And when
1: you're an engineer and haven't worked with an artist yet, you don't know anything. Right. But it gives you some automatic insight as to what artists are going to want when you become one yourself. Yes. So I I think that's like a big... A lot of engineers usually are artists or started yeah. out that way. Most
0: all of them, yeah. Right?
1: Mm-hmm. Most all. I and mean, even, like, I've mentioned several times Chris Lord-Algia, like He was, like, in a band, right? Like I didn't and, even know that. Yeah, yeah, that pretty band. sure. And Or or maybe it was his older brother or mm-hmm. whatever. But, like, you know, having the, um, the other side of the glass, right, right perspective of just, like, you know, knowing the issues you might have with a guitar amp because you have a guitar amp and because right. you play through a guitar amp, knowing mm-hmm. that you know you might need some ground lifts around the studio, yep. and that you know that speaker sounds better than that speaker because right. you know the amp and you've played it, you know, mm-hmm. and Absolutely. it gives you uh, automatic built-in engineer know-how because you're thinking from sort of the the senior yes, and that really the senior thought always is is like is like the music has to communicate to people and project to them right and if you think of that first so right. many other things are secondary and, and important yeah. so as an engineer you move a lot quicker you don't care about certain things exactly because yeah. you're just trying to get something to sound great yes. and get the the song across mm-hmm. first and foremost, right? And not sitting here going, Oh, well, let's make sure that this cable is perfectly, yeah, you know, <laughs> dialed in there. And it's like, That looks really nice. And then the singer comes in and just ruins the whole thing, yeah. gets comfortable, and lays on the ground. You know what <laughs> exactly. I mean? And it's like, None of that matters. Matter you know all, what yeah. I mean? The vibe was the guy just wanted to lay on the ground. So it's like, Yeah, you know, you, it's all about the fucking vibe and not about any yeah. of these little introverting things yes, you know it's absolutely. about the, the out there it's perspective the bigger picture, the yes. bigger picture yeah. so
0: absolutely no yeah. for sure yeah awesome man well, i really appreciate it <laughs> yeah you. this was awesome Nice. Awesome. Yeah. thanks, thanks brendan thank you thanks for joining me today on pro audio profiles hit subscribe to stay updated catch you next week